Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and astronomy, along with some off topic episodes that, for the most part, we focus in on on Open Line Friday. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bornier, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, hello, everybody. It is August. Brand new month starts today, the final month in meteorological summer. And this is episode number 353. And there is some science news that I'm going to mention today that is quite timely. You may or may not have heard of the latest shaking going on. There have been a ton of earthquakes concentrated in one part of the world. More on that in just a little bit. However, from the get-go, since we now have two months of summer under our belt, and yes, we're talking about meteorological summer. Those are the calendar periods of June and July. And it would be a good time to kind of take a step back and see what those two months have given the Ohio Valley. And in hindsight, actually, there are surprises. There usually are some surprises, even though we do come out with a long-term forecast for both summer and for winter, the winter forecast. We'll start working on that here pretty soon, now that we're in the month of August. However, let's now look behind us and see what we were dealing with. Let's first start with the month of June. June ended up with just a very nominal surplus in the temperature department, 0.8 degrees above normal. And for those of you that are longtime listeners of Weather Jazz, you know that anything plus or minus two when you're talking about an entire month is essentially right on target. Yes, we're on the positive side. However, for all intents and purposes, June, temperature-wise, was a near-normal month. Now, we all know that we had some pretty wild extremes in June. We had a number of 90-degree days, many more than usual for the month of June. But we also had some really crisp days in June. So when you take those two aspects of June and the wild swings back and forth, it averages out to just about normal. Now, precipitation-wise, a different story. We did think that the storm track would be most active in the month of June. And instead, it was far from it. Most areas had quite a deficit. We had 1.28 inches officially at Hopkins Airport in June. It was a dry month. Things started to dry out. So we were hopeful that we would see a turnaround in the month of July 
And here's what July brought us. It did. Let's start with the precipitation where we had a surplus of almost one inch, 0.97 inches. That almost makes up for the deficit of 1.28. So between the two, we're essentially near normal. A lot of backyards managed to catch up in the month of July and really preventing what could have been a very bad year for the garden. Now, temperature-wise, this is more interesting because July ended up plus or minus zero. It was right on target with where we should be temperature-wise. And in terms of extremes, we didn't have the huge ups and downs that we saw in the month of June. Now, in the month of June, we ended up with one day having a 14-degree departure above normal and one of the days an 11-degree departure below normal. How about the month of July? Well, the tolerance was a lot closer to the norm for the entire month. We had one day where it was 9 degrees above normal. That was the first when we had a high of 94. And the coolest departure below the normal was 7 degrees. So minus 7 plus 9, a lot closer to the norms. And it stands to reason that July ended up with exactly even Stephen with where we should be in terms of temperature. One more tidbit before we take a break and talk about some science news is the fact that it has been 16 days since we've officially seen an overnight low temperature at Hopkins Airport in the 50s. That was way back in mid-July when we snuck down into the upper 50s. Since then, the overnight lows have been very steady in the 60s and the 70s. Well, the Earth is shaking around a lot in one particular zone on the globe. And coming up right after the break, we'll talk about where that is and if that means anything seismically in the days to come. So hang tight and buckle up. Okay, we're back. And as mentioned, there has been a lot of seismic activity in the Reykjanes Peninsula in southwest Iceland. Believe it or not, it's in the same spot where the last eruption, the Fagradalsfjall volcano, erupted back in March of 2021. And so what does that mean? According to the Iceland Monitor, which is the English-speaking side of Morgenbladet, which is the morning newspaper of Iceland, specialists are saying that it looks like magma could be causing those earthquakes as it begins to shift and tries to find its way to the surface again. Either this will die down or the magma will actually find a way to the surface. More small earthquakes would suggest that, so that's something that we'll definitely be monitoring over the course of the next few weeks. Well, as of Saturday afternoon, according to the Iceland Monitor, there were about 500 earthquakes But as I looked this morning, in total, Saturday and Sunday, there were about 2,000 earthquakes, and some of them were felt in the Reykjavik area. I have uh, several friends, one of them, Gunnar Gunnarsson, in Iceland. He's a pastor of Lofstofan, Baptista Kierka, and he mentioned that he was rudely awoken today, Monday, by an earthquake which registered over five on the Richter scale at a depth of about 10 kilometers. Seismologists are indicating that many of them are four to eight kilometers below the surface 
and a few of them are at 10 kilometers or deeper. And the earthquake centers, the epicenters of these, are clustering now to the northeast of Fagradalsviak, where the volcano was before. But it's not very far from where the eruption occurred, only about three or four kilometers, which would be roughly one to two miles to the northeast of where the Fagradalsviak volcano erupted last time, again in the spring of 2021. Obviously, this is drawing some concern, and the Department of Civil Protection and Emergency Management of Iceland, they issued a, an uncertainty level warning during the weekend because of the earthquakes, especially in areas where tourists tend to gravitate to take in nature. Now, people in the area of the earthquakes are being encouraged to make sure that they have no loose objects in their homes which could fall down, especially in case of a strong earthquake, and especially around beds when people are sleeping. And furthermore, the folks are being warned about possible mudslides in steep areas, and hikers, especially those that are really not familiar with the terrain, those that are coming in from different countries, they're being advised to stay away from steep areas, those steep areas that could be subject to calving and also to some mudslides. Now, according to Iceland Monitor, and by the way, I'll have a link to the Iceland Monitor so that you too can keep track of such things if that is a point of interest for you. That'll be on episode number 353 at weatherjazz.com. The article goes on and ends with a rather ironic twist saying that while the specialists, the seismologists, were meeting to go over the protocols, there was actually a 4.0 magnitude earthquake that was clearly felt at the meeting at 2 p.m. over the weekend on Saturday. And you know that things are getting interesting there when all of a sudden you have all kinds of live video feeds from a number of sources, RUV, which is the Icelandic National Television Network, along with the Morgan Blathid, which is the newspaper, starts sending feeds over the internet, live via YouTube and various other outlets to keep an eye on this because one of these cameras might, in fact, catch the first bit of magma breaking through the crust of the earth there and perhaps starting a whole new series of fissure eruptions, which are generally the quiet kind, not the explosive kind, just like the last one that occurred in March of 2021 in the Reykjanes Peninsula. One more bit before we take off for the day today, I have arranged an interview that I will be doing tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, with Jeroen Neuenhove, and he was a guest on Weather Jazz a number of months ago, talking about his book, New Earth, which chronicled video-wise and also with beautiful photography, the eruption at Fagradalsviak back in March of 2021. So I'll have a first-hand perspective from Iran about what is going on. Naturally, he's very excited about the potential of capturing yet another eruption and maybe even for a follow-up book. Who knows? Now, if there's no news on the eruption by Wednesday, we'll continue with our Earth focus. 
And I'll save the interview for Friday because chances are there's not going to be anything new that develops. Although the last time it happened, it happened literally at the snap of a finger when everybody thought that things were going to quiet down. Volcanoes can be a very, very surprising thing. And trying to forecast an eruption is very speculative at best. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence on social media and by word of mouth. Eyeball to eyeball. It's always my favorite. If you have a question or a topic suggestion or you just want to say hello, I can be reached two ways. Email is weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And you can leave me a voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect Line, 234-525-5888. You can go to the Contacts tab at the top of weatherjazz.com if you need that information again. Coming up on Wednesday, if there's no huge news from Iceland and the potential volcanic eruption... We will continue with our Earth series, this time looking at the Goldilocks Zone. What makes Earth so delicately balanced and perfectly suited for life? Thank goodness it is, right? So we will catch you on Wednesday. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Podcast.